Good morning. Good try something. He is risen. You knew it. That's wonderful. If you could please, if you're able to stand without pain, please do. Otherwise, you have my permission to remain seated. We're going to worship the Lord.
Father God, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to worship. Lord, I thank you for all these voices praising you together. Father God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I love hearing them sing like that. It's uh, a huge blessing to have Kyra and Austin singing up here. You may not be able to tell this because they're not showboaty people, but they actually both sing very, very well. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. That's from John 20, 28. Again, good morning. Hopefully you guys will be able to stay awake. I saw what many of you had for breakfast, so I won't hold it against you if you don't. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I think sausage, gravy, and biscuits might be a cure for insomnia. This morning for the sunrise service, uh, we looked at John 20, and then uh, now we're going to take a look at Luke 24, which, uh, yeah, we're just going to read through that together. There are four different accounts of the resurrection, and in fact, I printed out initially because my uh, interwoven gospel is in King James. And I start to trip on the THs at the end of every so many words. It's not that I don't understand it. I just don't sound eloquent when I'm doing it. It would take quite a bit of practice for me, I think. But So we're just going to go with, with Luke's account. Um, each account, even though they interweave, one story doesn't conflict with the other. That's the part that people try to tell you. They're like, oh, those accounts conflict. No, they don't. Sometime Google an interwoven gospel or a par parallel gospel account where it goes through and it mashes them all together. They fit perfectly. What you have here, though, is people looking at the same thing and seeing different details. And if you'll excuse me for going into a weird part of my brain, if I look at a 93 uh, Mustang, I'm going to like it. Some other people might not. They're going to describe all the flaws in it. I'm going to describe everything beautiful about it. If I look at an 85 Mustang, I'm going to be like, wow, that has a 5.0 engine, blah, 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 right, from back when I cared. Someone else is going to look at it and be like, that looks like a Ford Escort. Why would anybody pay money for that? So, I mean, really, details change depending on who you're looking for, and that was just a goofy example. But you're going to see different details of the same events was really my point there. One doesn't undo the other. It just gives you a fuller view when you look at all of them. So I'm in Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, 
Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanne, and Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told him this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away and wondered to himself what had happened. If you can try just for a moment to put yourself in the shoes, which is almost impossible to really do, but if you can put yourself in the shoes of losing someone that you love so much and then having their body disappear. We're on uh, verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? Only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us what they had seen, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did the Christ, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, 
Were not our hearts burning with us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. And I, I brought this up a few Sundays ago, how we always um, have a tendency to think of the disciples, we think of just the twelve. These two on the road to Emmaus are not part of the twelve, but they are disciples. And when they run back, so they undid their whole day's journey. They're ex so excited. They went to Emmaus. They were going to spend the night. They see Jesus and they hightail it back to Jerusalem. They just undid their entire day's travel to go talk to the disciples again. But they find the eleven which is what's left of the 12, and those with them. <laughs> While they were still talking about what Jesus, excuse me, when they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do your doubts raise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in the, his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I am beginning to love Resurrection Day, which we commonly call Easter. I was always a bah humbugger of all holidays. But as life is teaching me, you have two socially appropriate times where you can talk about Jesus as much as you want, and if someone stops you, they look like the jerk. One of them is Christmas, the other is Easter, and I'm going to celebrate it. There's implications to the fact that we have a risen Lord. What Jesus raising from the dead is it shows us that death is not the end. What it also shows us is that Jesus is who he says he is. There's a cultural pacifism, like a pacifier, 
where people try to shut you up about Jesus by saying, oh, he was the best philosopher that ever lived, but they won't accept that he is God. Or they'll say, oh, he was a great teacher, or he was kind, he was just a good man. And that is exactly what I called it. That's a pacification statement because you cannot believe both of those things. Or you can't believe that Jesus wasn't who he said he was and call him a good man. You can't be not believe that Jesus is who he says he is and call him a great philosopher. You can't not believe who Jesus says he is and call him a good teacher. Because the marks of a good teacher is they teach you things that are true. The mark of a good philosopher is that they tell you things that are true. And the marks of a good man is that they tell you things that are true. So you're really left with two choices. Either Jesus is the Son of God, he is God in flesh, or he is a liar. Those are the only two choices you have to believe. We can make it as cut and dried as that. Jesus' death and resurrection shows us that there is more. Not only that, it shows us that God is, Jesus is who he says he is, that he is in fact God, and that our sins can be forgiven. That's what else it shows us. People really try to do all kinds of mental gymnastics to talk themselves out of letting Jesus be God. It's really essential. In modern history, we for the first time have people with the audacity to try to act like Jesus may have never existed because they're finally far enough away from it in the calendar and timeline where they can pretend that. That's nonsense. The entire history of the world is set on a timeline with what we can call in strong scientific communities with no religious affiliation before Common Era and Common Era, or as we used to call them, B.C. and A.D., before Christ and Anno Domine in the year of our Lord. But now they've changed the names to before common era and common area era, which also is measured off the life of Christ. So you can call it whatever you want. The entire history of the world is measured by the life of Christ. That seems like a rather audacious statement to suddenly assume that he may not have really existed. Seems awfully silly to me. But I'm not really very good with uh, apologetics. Apologetics is a study where you try to show people the scientific truths and support the Bible using extra biblical arguments. And it's an entire uh, field, and I like it. And I appreciate it. But that's not an area of expertise to me. Because I believe deep down in my heart that no one can come to the Father unless he's called. Jesus will show you his truth. 
as soon as we're done trying to rationalize our way out of it. God has blessed people with the ability to problem solve. That's why we're still here. That and just his grace. But people work so hard to learn how to read the blueprint and then decide there's no architect, which is really nonsensical. But I think a fundamental biblical truth, the ultimate presupposition that we all start with, is in the beginning God. In the beginning God. If you're with me there, the rest of this makes a lot more sense. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created people. People were ungrateful. People wanted to be God. That is original sin. I will be as God. If you look at the original sin of angels, it's the exact same one. I will be as God. When you look at my life, when I decide to do things that I know God doesn't want me to, it's the same sin, me trying to be God. And because of the sin and depravity, only God is able to save us. The punishment for sin has always been death from the beginning. And there was a series of sacrifices that could take that place. Because there's always a debt from sin. Because it separates us from God. Jesus paid that debt. As only God could. The resurrection of Jesus tells us that we have the ability to be in communion with God, that we have, in fact, been reconciled. He has bridged the gap between us and him. Because we couldn't do it on our own, Jesus came and bridged the gap. You are able to be in right relationship with God. This is what the Old Testament longed for. Everyone in the Old Testament, this is what they wanted. This is our reality, and many of us don't even recognize it. What I would like to do this morning is I would just like to invite you to live in a realization of who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Trinitarian theology can get very confusing and weighty and heady sometimes. But I want you to recognize and I want you to live in the reality that Jesus is God. And Jesus loves us enough that he desires to be in relationship with us. Not because we're capable of doing anything outside of him, but because he loves us. It's interesting how many people try their hardest to be worthy. To be worthy of grace undoes grace. 
Grace is only grace because you cannot earn it. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do to earn God's grace. Nothing. There is nothing you can do to heal the depravity that is alive inside you. On your own, there is nothing you can do. But it would appear that Jesus would like you, and would like us all, to be in right relationship with him. Which actually does require trust and a turning away from who we are trying to be. James tells us that faith without works is dead. Works are important. Works are a byproduct of faith. You don't earn your salvation. But I would love it if everyone here could walk in the realization that they are forgiven. Would be able to accept the gift of salvation from Jesus and to turn their minds towards him, turn their hearts towards him. Jesus promised, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. No other philosophy or religion on earth has ever had, I don't know, the brazen audacity to say something like that. That's my Jesus. That is my God who wants you to live in him so he can live in you. I love theology. I love to study. I love to find the meanings for things. I love to sound like I'm smart. All that is nothing. It means nothing. The most profound statement that you will ever learn outside of straight biblical texts will always be the song from Sunday school, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It doesn't get any purer than that. But what does that mean, that Jesus loves us? This morning, Willis brought up the idea of wanting to love like Jesus loves. Think about the implications of that. That means loving your betrayer. That means loving the people that denied you. That means loving people that you might be embarrassed to walk down the street with. That means loving the people that crucified you. It means loving the people that deny you even existed. (laughs) There was an old country preacher that did my parents' wedding. His name is Joe Bodie. I'm sure he's long past because he was 80, 20 years ago, and I haven't seen him since. But he would end every conversation with anybody. It didn't matter if he was in the grocery store or behind a pulpit or didn't matter. He always told people, nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. And he said that for at least 50 years. Every conversation he ended, he said, nobody loves you like Jesus loves you.
Last week I asked a question, and I didn't think I was going to come back to it. I asked the question, what does it mean that Jesus is a king? What is a king? By a show of hands, because I love to do this as a teacher, how many of you have actually spent any time this week thinking about what does it mean to be a king? Thank you, thank you. Okay, good. Don't worry, I get the same response when I ask if people studied for their math test. They didn't. (laughs) Some did. Anyway. The fact that Jesus is king. Kings have authority. They have ultimate authority. They're perceived as having God's divine blessing. A king is not an elected official. A king is there because it's their birthright. You don't vote a king out of office. If you found favor in the eyes of a king, that makes you special to everyone else around you. Part of the resurrection of Jesus and the calling that Jesus gives us is also a calling to embrace this divine nepotism where God counts you as one of his children and wants to show you his favor. Though you don't earn it, you can't earn it, you're not qualified. He still wants to bless you. He still wants you to be in relationship with him. If you have sins in your life, what I want for you, though it's not my choice, what I want for you is I want you to ask forgiveness from God for those sins. And I want you to pledge yourself to Jesus Christ. I want you to invite him to take over your life and I want you to live in him. That's what I want so much. Because that is the only thing that I'm sure that I've done right. I could wax poetic. I know I married the right woman. I know I have the right kid. I know I'm in the right field, all that stuff. But the only thing that I have absolute certainty about is my Jesus. who has blessed me with all these other things. And bless me because of those things. I think the most growth I've gotten in my life since I've decided to follow Jesus seriously has been through my wife. Because I didn't care where I went to church or if I went to church. She had a church. She brought me. She knew I believed, of course, but I also get really great advice. (laughs) My daughter has taught me more about the nature of God than anyone else on this planet. I'm so blessed. 
And it isn't because my life is perfect and it's not because I don't have stresses. And it's not because I'm wealthy and it's not because I'm healthy and it's not because I'm good looking. It's none of that. It's because God calls me his son. There's nothing I could have ever done to get that outside of just saying, I accept. That's really what I have for you this morning. In just a moment, Mike is going to come up and do the announcements and prayer and sharing. But first, the Sunday school class has a song they're going to sing for us. So, um, if you people are cell phone recorders, I'll give you a second to get ready for that. But. You can come up, Mike. I just wanted to share one other little story, and I hate, no, oh, I love to embarrass people, but I'll try not to, because that's not, that's not holy. But one time on the way home from vacation Bible school when my daughter was four, she said, Daddy, do you want to go to heaven with me when we die? And that's my story of, of how it started that my daughter came to faith at age four. It's from vacation Bible school. And that was seven years ago, and now she's up here singing. And I just want to cry all over you people like a baby, but I just wanted to share that with you. Unless you come as a little child. Bring us time to our prayer request. Sharing.
I'd like to share a little bit and get this started. First, I'd like to thank Chad for covering for me for the last six months. I was kind of preoccupied at time with a few little illnesses. I know the virus has affected everybody here. And then throw in a couple of good illnesses. And I learned something about kidney stones, and this come from a nurse, that they are just as painful as giving birth. I want to thank all your women, and I appreciate my mom more every day. I'm over that. I had blood clots. I'm over that. Uh, I had a stent, <clears throat> which was falling out, causing me a lot of aggravation and grease and passing a little blood and stuff, but I'm over that. And while I was there, I thought, poor me. They're miserable. I don't like this. And then I'm stuck in a house with my wife. You know, she's a good woman, and we didn't have any problems, maybe. She had more than I did. I just had pain. But I got to thinking in all that time. I had time to read scripture. I had time to read a lot of scripture. 20 more days, I'll finish the Bible in a year. And today or yesterday, I started reading the Bible in six months. This is a program that we, it's available to all of you, it's online. But one of the things that caused me to stop and think was Easter coming up. And what I have is blessings. And how do you explain it to people who don't know Christ? That a man on the other side of the world, 13,000 and some miles away, affected my life. He loved me, but I don't even know him. And to this day, I still don't know him. Every day I find something new and amazing about Christ. What he's done for me. Now, I'm going to make a statement. It's probably going to make some people think. But when it comes to knowing Christ, he has affected everybody on this planet. Everyone, whether you know him or not. Because you have the choice. You either accept Christ or you don't. But either way, you acknowledge that God exists. Now, what you do with that, it's very important. I like, when I stop to look back now, I like my last year of doing nothing. I spent a lot of time rocking in a chair. I'm getting old and enjoying it. But I had time to be with my God, and I was closer to him than I think I ever was in my life. And he saved me from hurting my wife at times. <laughs> Not really. I just thought I'd add that in there. But it's true. There's two choices for you. You can acknowledge him and ignore him. But either way, you've acknowledged him. And if you acknowledged him, why not see what he wants? Read that Bible. That program... I don't know, I probably got 10 different Bibles at home, old ones, some that are wore out in the pages you can't hardly use anymore. But I still have a hard time getting rid of them. Where do you throw a Bible away? Somebody answer that question. There's a lot of things. There's more to learn every day. When Christ died, the funeral cloths were laid there in a heap where he laid them. 
covering over his face was folded neatly and placed where his head was at. Why was that? Anybody tell me? That's not the main reason. And the reason I asked that question is because it's something I learned while I was sitting there doing nothing, rocking in my chair, complaining that I'm miserable. God was talking to me. When a person of importance, a rabbi or somebody, was served a meal, the master of the household, cloths were there, he wiped his fingers on it. The servant would not touch that cloth would not come to that table to pick up the stuff to remove it. When the master was done, he folded it up neatly and set it there. Telling those people, his servants, I'm done. And he was done because he went and died on the cross for me. He was done with man in the form that we are, sinners. From that day forth, just to acknowledge him, you had your salvation. Before I give a whole sermon here, anybody else? Think about it. Luke's getting excited back here. Didn't they used to call this the hallelujah pew? We can do this. You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else have anything they'd like to share? This was a Clayton family? Yeah, Jim and Kathy Clayton. Jim and Kathy Clayton, okay. I have a lot I can say, but we'll keep you all here probably the rest of the day. Do it. It's Easter. Sounds like your wife might need a little patience, Don. <laughs>
God himself. He's the healer. Uh, is it easy to sit there in that chair and see the sun shining and know that I need to be out there doing fence work or doing something and can't? Not. You can't. Well, and, and there's so much in there that it doesn't matter how many times you read it, you're going to find something new. He's going to bring something else out to you. And, uh, but that does give you a lot that you can do when all you can do is sit there. And, uh, yeah, five weeks ago, I didn't want to
I also got one of those cards. And you send them to old people who are sick. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I make that category finally. <laughs> but I appreciated it immensely. I really did. And what was that? If you stop and look at it, think about that. That was a decision that someone meant to follow Christ with and told those children, and we're teaching them. I'd like to also thank one person here, Rachel. There you're hiding. I thought you were sitting over there, but okay. My mom was in the hospital in Quarry, and she kept saying, oh, that little girl from your church is so nice. And I kept saying, well, who the heck is that up there? What room is she in? She's a nurse. And I couldn't for the longest time figure it out. You impressed my mother. Now, she's a good woman. I can tell you that. But what really impressed me was she remembered you. Why? Because of your kindness. And that's very important. And where does kindness come from? I'll look at your parents sitting over there, and Paul's being quiet. I'm not going to call on you, Paul. Don't worry. I'm so glad to see you here. I won't embarrass you or anything. <laughs> but you guys have raised your daughter to do something right. And what's that based on in your life? I got a good feeling it's on your knowledge of Christ. Again, your choice. You either acknowledge him, you can deny him, but you still acknowledged him. But you've taught somebody right. Every one of you have that choice. Some of you are new, some of you I have no idea who you are, but you're more than welcome to be here. And I hope you learn about Christ. Come back. And speaking of come back, three times in your bulletin you will read. There's a Bible study next Tuesday at seven o'clock. Here. I think it's time we call the flock back home. If you've been missing, it's time to reach out. I've only had one of my corner shot, virus shots. I have my mask in my back pocket right here. I wore it to church. I only see one other one out there, so you're comfortable with it, I hope. But if you come to me and say, I, I don't think I'm comfortable, I'll put it back on. And then I'll just mumble when I talk, and you will know what I'm saying. But I'm willing to do that for you, because like Christ, I love you. There's something about you people, and it's not because we're a group that all believes in God. There's just something about you that God tells me you're important. I don't know what it's going to be, 
I better quit. Somebody else better go. I'm in one of those moods. Doctors can only do so much for us. It's the prayers that carry us. Okay, we'll be in prayer for Troyer family. Do you think we should continue on the air or come off the air? I don't know. I'm just suggesting that they're doing it. I don't know what the reason is. So, I don't know. Well, we can discuss it, but personally I think we should stay on the air because there are those that won't come back to Valley View, but they're still listening, I'm hoping. Or we may reach somebody. Right, not just ours. Friends of my mom watches, but I don't know if they'd ever set foot in the church, but I've invited them. Maybe it's time I invited them a second time. If they're watching now, you can let them know they're invited. Mom, tell your friends to get to church. And she will. <laughs> and we're welcome to have you back, Connie. You and Albert. You're starting the flock coming back. The snowbirds will be arriving soon.
do. Anyone else? I know we had prayer a couple of weeks ago for my brother Daryl, who was facing cardiac issues again because he failed his nuclear stress test. Well, when they did the catheterization, they realized that what that, you know, what all these images were showing was all the damage he had three years ago from the massive coronary that he had, and there was really no new stuff. So I had gotten a text message that morning. That's correct, Sue. You're not quite old enough yet. Okay, everybody send Sue a card. I know she's not 11 teen yet, but send her a card.
I don't think we can get away from him. He's with us wherever we go. Yeah, but I think she's over 11, though, isn't she? <laughs> Moving up on Skate 8. And, yeah. You know, we, we go through life and we all have our aches and pains. We got our problems and we're sick and we're dying and you can name everything else that can go wrong. But you realize that's just shedding this temporary body. I mean, I've abused it pretty good over my life. I think most of us had. Yeah. And it's gone, but you can't kill my soul. It's hard not to, but like I said, I don't wish anybody to be sick, but I hope you used your free time that you had last year to think about what he's done for you. I'd sing Count My Blessings, but you know how I sing. The only <laughs> one who'd be happy would be Dave back there. Yes. Like I said, a man, thousands of years ago, on the other side of the world, died for me. And it's something we need to share. So like I said, I'm going to see my mom and tell her to invite her friends to church again. You invite some of your friends. Do you know the number one reason why people don't go to church? That is absolutely correct. Went to a seminar that or conference put on years ago. And that's, it's a business to plant churches, what it takes to build it, the number one room in there. I mean, they figured it out. The number one room in a church is the nursery. If they have a cheap nursery, mom won't leave the baby in there. Mom ain't coming to church with the baby. Dad's not coming to church. And it goes right down the line. The other little kids don't come. They don't come to church because they were never invited. You have friends, invite them. Luke, come forward and pray before I start again. <laughs> I might take my time. <laughs> and I'd like to see you all here Saturday, or Saturday, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. In the Dust of the Rabbi, session one. By the way, it's in your bulletin three times if you hadn't noticed. It might be important. I know that we've shared a lot, and that was so good. This is the most people we've had here on a Sunday morning in over a year. This is the biggest congregation I've gotten to speak to as the pastor of this church. And it feels really good to see so many people. 
I don't know when Hannah grew up. She did not. Goodness. Anyway. Isaac's like the brawny man. <laughs> you got beautiful hair, dude. <laughs> Actually, just a giant man of God, and I'm happy to see him. We got some powerful young men in this congregation. So what the rest of us, those of us that are starting to get less young and those of us who are already much less young, we need to foster their growth without overwhelming them with duties that they're not ready for. That has nothing to do with those gents, though, because they'll probably do whatever you ask them. So that's something we need to be mindful of, fostering growth without killing it, all right? And you fertilize the plant, you don't bury it all the way. It suffocates. Right? But we've got some mighty men of God coming up here. Oh, it's going to be good. I might even get to see some of it. It's going to be awesome. Anyway, if you can, without pain, please stand with me. Father God, I thank you for these people. I thank you for this body. I thank you that you've decided that you want us. Father God, I pray that you would continue to bless us as we begin to come together more and more frequently in person. pray that you would protect us. I pray that you would help us to be sensitive to one another and to sharpen each other, Lord. To sharpen each other and to correct each other in love. Father God, I thank you for, for Carla's mom. I pray that you would continue to be with her family and the loss they're experiencing. I know there's a lot of people hurting. I pray that you would continue to bless them. I pray that you would be evident in their midst. Pray that you'd be with her Uncle Bob and give him patience to listen to the doctors. I pray that you would bless him especially. Lord, we thank you that Vicki Gilkinson is cancer-free. We praise you for those answered prayers, Lord. I pray that you would be alive in her and that you would continue to show yourself in this situation, Lord. Father God, I thank you that Mike is healthy enough to come to church again. Father God, I praise you that you worked all that out and you provided him with opportunity to grow. I pray that you would be with Kayan and Noah's family, Lord, with Noah's father at the loss of his friend. I pray for the Clayton family. I pray for Annette's family as well, Lord, that you would continue just to be there for them, to comfort them, to show them you, Lord. Father God, I praise you that Don is healing so quickly. I pray that you would continue to give him patience. I pray that you would continue to bless Christy. I pray that you'd be with Katie as she's traveling. I pray that you would be with Gabe, that he would know how to, to help his dad around. Father God, I thank you for your miracle in Easter of 1993. I thank you for the blessing that Don has been to our congregation. I pray that you continue to touch him. Lord, I thank you that Willis has been able to travel. I thank you for the health that you've given him. I pray that his blood work would go well. I pray you'd continue to be with he and Nancy. 
Father God, we thank you for the example that he's given us. I thank you for all of the blessings that those two are to us. Father God, I thank you that the Branners are back from Florida. I thank you that you gave them traveling mercy. It's good to see them as well, Lord. I pray that you would be with everyone else coming back north. I pray that you'd be with Brianna's mother-in-law. I pray that you would continue to bless her, Lord. Keep her healthy, Lord. I pray that you would continue to bless Dan. I thank you that he made it through his accident and only lost his truck. Father God, I pray that you would help him to find a new vehicle. I pray that you would help him to remain healthy. I pray that you would continue to be real in his life ever increasingly. Lord God, thank you for blessing us with the faces that are around us. I pray that we would see each other the way that you see us. I thank you for Daryl Bolleratz, that he has no more damage to his heart. Lord, I praise you for Sue's family. Pray that you would help them to stay close. Father God, we praise you with Pauline that you are with us. Father God, we thank you that Mary was able to come today. I pray that you would continue to be there for her, Lord. I pray that you would give her comfort. I pray that you would bring the right people around her to meet needs as they come up, Lord. Father God, I thank you for every single person in this room. And as much as we love each other, we acknowledge that no one will ever love the way you love. And we thank you for that, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. That may have been the longest prayer I've ever said in my life. Judy, do you have some hymns for us? All right, we're going to go ahead and circle the, the sanctuary still, if you're able. Uh, hymnal. hymnal, blue hymnal. If for some reason you need to stay seated, we're not judging. <laughs>